Welcome to the National Democratic Institute's Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. In these candid conversations recorded from home, politically active women from around the globe interview each other about the male-dominated world of politics. They're the best examples of why we need to move faster to reach political parity between men and women before the middle of the next century and change the face of politics. In this episode, Mimosa Kusari Lila, member of the Kosovo Parliament, interviews Shei Akiwowo, founder and executive director of Glitch, and former London Borough Councillor, about her career in politics, her work to combat online abuse, and her commitment to self care. Hello, welcome to this episode of the Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. My name is Mimosa Kusari-Lila and I'm a member of Kosovo Parliament and former Deputy Prime Minister of Kosovo. It's my special pleasure today that my guest is Shei Akiwawo. Shei is the founder and executive director of Glitch, a small charity dedicated to ending online abuse and championing digital citizenship. Glitch was founded shortly after Shay, then politician, faced horrendous online abuse and violence. Say, I have to admit that I was looking forward to this interview because I've heard your story live two years ago and then I met you again last year and I know the energy and passion that you carry with you. Could you please tell me, where did you find all the inspiration initially to join politics and then to continue your work about ending online abuse? Thank you so much, Ramosa. I'm so pleased to be part of this conversation and that you're interviewing me. I think um, we, when we first met each other, I think we were kindled spirits and we had lots of fun both in Washington and then for those, shoot, those short few moments in, in London. So I'm really glad to be having this conversation with you. Um, my passion for what I then knew uh, later on to be politics came from when Charlotte, my school friend, um, um, was stabbed at a house party and uh, she died. And it was really one of the first times that we had heard of youth violence in our area, and obviously it being a young girl. And I went to school with Charlotte, both primary and secondary. She was my neighbor and it was just really a lot for me to um, have to deal with. And I asked a lot of questions to try and understand like why had Charlotte been stabbed? Why did that person feel they needed to carry a knife and wanted to explore youth violence a lot more? And those uh, questions and that line of inquiry basically took me to politics. Local governments were having a lot of um, power and making a lot of decisions about my community and people who looked like me, but we were not being represented in those spaces. Um, and so that, um, I guess, stubbornness, a little bit of naivety and passion meant that I was pursuing things like youth, youth parliament roles, young mayor roles, um, youth councillor positions in my area. And I realised again <laughs> that that was still dealing with a lot of youth engagement issues and that's great i think those are, are important um projects but i really wanted to get to the heart of local democracy where decisions and money and, and budgets and important um uh and life-changing matters were being discussed and that's when i decided at 22 to stand um for my local area where i'd grown up and where i'd obviously even been went to school with charlotte and then at 23 i was elected and it was been it was a whirlwind for four years 
using that position to try and encourage more black women to enter politics and the online space and trying to kind of dismantle the barriers, um, which a lot of it was around not seeing yourself and representation, beliefs, but as well as like the structural things that needed to change to be more inclusive. But when I had, when I had um, had that, that video of the speech that I made at European Parliament go viral and it encountered online violence, it, just something just changed in me around how we really prepare young people and women to enter politics, not in a place that fear gives them fear and incites fear and not wanting to enter politics, but really understands that when you are embarking on this 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 journey, these are the things that you need to think about. And I, and, and basically, the conversation I wish somebody had with me when 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 entering politics and doing things more online and being a young person. And so that's where Glitch was birthed to try and get more young people to be thinking about, particularly women who are disproportionately affected, thinking about the online violence um, and preparing themselves for that when it comes to entering all forms of public spaces. Um, yes, it seems that, I mean, listening to uh, the story, it gets always emotional because the reason that you enter politics was very personal and emotional, but still uh, accompanied with a lot of courage and determination that you want to make things right and then you want to show um, others that uh, you stand up uh, and you want to represent uh, people and other women and girls. Uh, but then again, with you, your path forward is also associated with something else that is uh, identified with uh, another uh, sort of violence, another form of violence, sort of online abuse. So um, it seems that under pressure you perform or you always find a new venue. What would be your um, sort of how would you uh, define your role in this situation? Like, do you always have to be under pressure to take a new path? Yeah, my mum probably say, yeah, my mum probably say I wait way too, I wait last minute to tidy my room or to do something. I, yeah, so probably I do need pressure. But I think um, what has forced me to kind of change and reevaluate that and I guess try and have a bit more, bit more of a balance is trying to do things more from a place of rest rather than always feeling rushed and pressured to do something. Because I think, yes, like that energy you get and the adrenaline you get from like, waiting last minute and feeling that pressure like means you can really like um thrive but I don't think that's sustainable and like when and now being like a CEO and a leader of a charity that has processes and manages people that's not a way to kind of like manage a team all the time yes there's reactiveness because you don't know what's going to happen in terms of the tech space and announcements by government and etc but in overall I think I've grown to be more balanced in terms of doing things from a place of rest. Uh, if incorporated more meditation and like running and like trying to do things where I have more thinking space rather than always doing things that require adrenaline. And that, and that took a long time. That took a long time to shift. Um, and like you said, there were two very traumatic events that happened and I had to do a lot of healing from that. I had to do a lot of inward, inward work around yes glitch and my narrative and my story is trauma informed but i don't want to be trauma led i want to know that i'm doing things from a place of healing and a place of lived experience not a place of fear or um or, or from a place of feeling like a harm or victim um and yeah it's about readdressing that balance because i think a lot of our campaigns that you see that are started by women activists around the world are birthed from our oppression are birthed from an experience that we've had right and i think that's amazing 
But I think what we also see when it comes to like activism and campaigns and women in politics is that we don't tend to have a long lifespan. I remember reading an interesting stat, um, I think it was in Canada a few years ago about more women leave, early, leave politics earlier than men. Um, and there was a there was a similar stat that was talked about last year ahead of, ahead of the uh, elections in the UK, um, and I think there's a, something there around like the sustainability of our activism and yes that we are fighting against oppression and civil rights are birthed out of kind of like a lot of trauma and a lot of um, mobilising but but I don't think it should be at the expense of our self care and that's taken me about two years to really learn. Yeah, um, you, you mentioned um, the uh, comparison between women and men in politics. Have you ever thought of yourself on how would you have been reacted or what would have your life been if you were a boy or a man uh, in the same position, in the same situation? Like, how would you have, uh, would life have been easier to you? Would you, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, do you ever think of that or make that uh, sort of reflection in if I was a boy then probably, or if I was a man? Yeah, I mean, Beyonce's song, If I Was a Boy, I constantly sing that song because <laughs> I definitely think when it comes to glitch, like fundraising and trying to get into spaces and, and even how people approach and talk to me, I definitely know certain situations that would be, I would be treated with a lot more respect or people are, are very shocked when they heard, hear about me and then they see my TED talk and see my face because Shay is a unisex name. So I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there, it's really funny when people engage with me on email versus engaging with me um, uh, face to face. Um, and I think also COVID as well has made that really interesting around people, do people kind of know who I am um, uh, and how, yeah, and how have they watched my TED talk or not? Um, I, I think to answer your question, though, we, there's a bit of intersectionality that's needed, because if I was a black boy, I think that would have come with a different set of challenges, particularly in London, where you've got racial profiling and like a, a lot of tensions between the police. Um, and, you know, we see that black men as well in the UK are suffering from from like uh, depression and very um poor levels of mental health so I think there would have been a different struggle if I was a black man but I think if I was a white man for sure I think being the charismatic person that I am I'm very good looking I've got good dress sense like I think that would have been lapped up and adored by by um by the main by mainstream media um and so and, and I think often women do feel like they have to kind of like tone police or whitewash themselves or masculine you know we heard that with thatcher thatcher got voice training for so that she sounded more masculine i do think there's this kind of like pressure to appear look and feel more um less emotional whatever that means and more um more like a man because that's what mainstream media have put, put out there's what we want and need but what we see them in crisis that's not the case yeah. um and i and i definitely think if i was a man things like caring responsibilities things like um you know having like like my my clothes ironed for me and prepared for me i think look that those things would have also been a lot easier to, to allow me to focus on my career a lot more whereas being a woman that's not necessarily been the case 
Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I completely agree with you when you talk about uh, racial profiling, men or women, and we've seen cases and we've seen even movements, in particular in the United States, yeah. uh, in the way how police has treated uh, a black man versus how they treat um, others, and definitely there is a racial profile, but if it comes to gender profiling, uh, it's funny because I always think, uh, also I make the same comparison, uh, if I was a man, uh, like mm. we, we discussed jointly when uh, saying that how would we perceive as a woman who's doing mm -hmm. sport, it's in politics, in public life, I would say if I was a man, I would probably be saying, oh, sh he's very strong and fit, but as a woman, there's definitely looking down on you and saying, ah, oh, she's not serious, she's doing sports. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah. absolutely. I, I think if I was a man wanting to... Uh, um, place importance of going to the gym at lunchtime it'd be really like welcomed and like really seen like yeah good on you but when I'm doing it, it's a bit like oh okay like wanting to spend time with yourself are you concentrating like I think there's a lot more doubt and, and I think that comes with anything that women do I think there's a lot more scrutiny when, I, when, when, when women do things there's a lot of distrust when women and then intersex identities do things in comparison to, a, to, to white men and I think that's where we've seen the need for diversity in our leadership and accountability mechanisms so that, um, that we readdress that kind of scrutiny and balance so it's a lot fairer. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And not only uh, just diversity, but also introduction with everything that comes with the diversity, all the attributes. Mm. And not like mm. you mentioned, being a woman and then trying to act like a man so you'd be accepted uh, mm. in politics or in leadership role. Um, and uh, saying that all, how did that um, reflect in the position in your family or how did that affect your private life? I mean, initially in politics and then with uh, being a CEO uh, of uh, an organization, uh, do, did you have the support, encouragement, or did you feel like you have to convince them? I mean, my experience was that I always, in my new endeavor, had to convince my family that, you yeah. know, I need to do this. Yeah. How was, what was your case? I mean, how, how was your path in, into introducing your career choices to your family? Yeah, so my, 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 my mom and my friends got the whole politics thing eventually that that was that was like okay cool this is this is important to you I see and I see what what that means and what you could what you could do with it um when I was now kind of campaigning with like glitch around like online abuse and violence and kind of sticking up for like women's rights that bit was a bit like mm. and then when it came with backlash you know talking of like whether it was like talking about Black Lives Matter um two three years ago whether it was calling out gender in gender injustices then the my family and friends are a little bit like are you sure you want to say that are you sure you want to do that and it comes from a very well-meaning place um but in a way it kind of reinforced some victim blaming like me speaking up for my rights doesn't attract abuse like like that, that's not okay it's not my fault i'm speaking up for my rights and so I think it, yeah, it took that, that transition from politics and leaving politics as well um, and going into like more of that of the CEO and uh, NGO world, that was probably harder for people to understand, like understanding the late nights, working the weekends, even though, as you know, working in local government, it does involve weekends because there's surgeries that you have to hold for your residents. You visit loads of um, community centers and speak to people. That was understood, but when I was now having to do that for, for an organization, a charity, that was not really met well. And also, I, um, the, um, I mean, there's a whole conversation to be had about um, remuneration in politics, but I, 
I definitely went above and beyond the kind of hours they say you should do as a local local counsellor and um, and I was working at the time um, and no one, no one questions in terms of how much I was earning when it came to being a counsellor but when I changed and flipped to being a charity more people were asking questions about what I earned and like, is this a safe thing for you to be doing setting up your own charity you, know, you need to be you want to be having kids soon blah 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 and I, and I, and I think I thought that was a, that that was interesting the um the uh understanding that we don't ha that that activists and campaigners are, are not properly remunerated um but yet no one wants to do anything to try and make sure they are properly remunerated <laughs> yeah um you've seen i mean you you have an intensive career in politics and apparently great reasons for it and then uh, in um, uh, civil society or with the charity organization but um along this path you've probably seen the impact you had on other girls and other women yeah. and um would you say that uh you had or you felt like you're making more impact in politics than in non-governmental sector or how would you compare the impact that you had on other women and girls from uh, both perspectives i tell you that that is really important to me that that legacy um yeah stuff is really really important to me i've done loads of like personality assessments recently for like um this leadership development course i'm on and it comes up really strong like uh about giving back and morality and it was so heartbreaking mimosa when people would tweet me during the time i was getting the abuse and saying this is why i don't want to enter politics because I see what um, I'm, you know, you're going through, and then um, me, what I was going through, and what um, Diane Abbott, who was our first Black uh, woman MP in the UK and was the first uh, Black woman Shadow uh, Home Secretary, they would say, I, I see what um, Shay and Diane get, yeah, and this is why I don't want to get into politics. And it would, it literally made me so sad. It made me, it actually was the final push to say, okay, I think I'm going to do this campaign called Glitch. Because if we want to get more women into politics, public life, sports, whatever it is, we don't need another additional barrier to making that process hard. We really have to think about caring responsibilities and all, you know, under gender pay gap and all the other unfairness. Now we're adding online violence to it. And that really irked me. Um, and I, I, you know, if I was to do a comparison, I was, get, I, I had a platform and I was a counsellor to like speak and stuff. And so I would get lots of like, positive responses on social media people would write to me or email me or ask to speak to speak with me um and, and ask how i did it and that was really good but um i guess now as a ceo you have to kind of quantify that and set kpis so you can obviously let the board know and funders know so i'm able to kind of put more numbers to that and so the thousands of women that we've trained through our workshops on digital self-care and self-defense and helping them stay online and have more agency i can put that in numbers and i can tell you countries that we visited and um and you know politicians that we've trained up and parliaments that we've trained up and so i guess as a ceo it's easier to kind of track that but both of them gave me um uh such joy in being able to say like you can do this and actually i need you to come and do this because if, if there's more of us in this space we can really shake it up and disrupt it and not have to keep doing the status quo um and i and i don't think i, I and i'm grateful for what i learned in politics that's shaped me as a ceo and i'm grateful for my my previous experiences in in the charity sector to help inform how I was a politician, how I wanted to engage with the community. And I think that was something that was quite my USP, if you like. I, I use social media as a, as, a, as a young woman in 
local government very differently to my counterparts to the point that it scared our our local mayor at the time and you know he wanted to review what i was posting and stuff like that because i genuinely believed in transparency and engaging our, our community um so yeah both of them have given give, give, have given me such joy uh, great. See, you you um, sound, and this is the experience that I had or the impression that I had on you from the first time I met you, uh, mm -hmm. as very strong and uh, very courageous uh, woman and definitely very determined. But are there moments when you feel low, when you feel like you're run out of energy? And I'm speaking this from my personal experience. And where do you find an inspiration to fill your batteries up? Apart from just, uh, I mean, I'm talking about the... Uh, uh, mental and sort of yeah. encouragement that comes from inside not just the physical one not just the running or the exercise yeah. but also the motivation to go uh, long distances to go five more years doing what you're doing now yeah 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 but yeah one I've had to deal with um, perfectionism and self-critique but my inner voice was very tough on myself um, come from a single parent household so a, quite a lot of things I had to um, like teach myself and do myself. And so I guess the perfectionist helped me get better, get better uh, exam results and get into LSE and, you know, do those things that I needed to do to, do to make up for not having a father uh, uh, around. But then the flip side and, the, and where it became a bit more, I guess, toxic or unhelpful was that I was super critical of myself and never really self-compassionate about what I was doing and giving myself praise. So people would be like, yeah, you got elected at 23. And I was like, yeah, cool. But you know, now looking back, that was an amazing achievement, but then I couldn't see it because I was just looking in such a perfectionist, hyper self-critical point of view. Um, so that was definitely one thing I had to change about being self-compassionate and um, to kind of keep motivating myself and, and, and to keep going. I talk to people. I think I talk to my peers who are uh, also CEOs of small charities. Um, I, 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 and I, I'm, and we're really honest and frank. Um, I talk to my board and I think my biggest tip around like how you keep, keep going is like when you have those low, low moves, like it's for a reason, our body is telling us something like we're either tired or we're burning out. And like I said before, I think burnout and activism has been, seen as a bit of a, a badge of honor when it comes to being in politics and it comes to campaigning we must tire ourselves out like you see it with like short-term campaigns when it comes to elections people are working flat out you see it on the west wing like it's a it's a crazy framework to have i think but um uh i i i think it's important to make sure that you're planning time for rest and listening to your body because if your body is saying I'm feeling low it could be because lack of sleep it could be because not nutrition like it is those really basic boring things that we got told at school about like eating our, eating our fruit and veg and going to sleep at, um, at, a, at a good time but those are those are like super key to have like a clear and positive mind would you i mean would you characterize you mentioned that you grew up uh without a father with uh, only the mother would would you characterize being uh impacting your character uh differently or any um, other children uh girls or boys that live with only one parents like who was your the identification your father figure and how did that affect to see the balance in life between men and women uh, being raised without a father you, you've nailed it on the head, Mimosa. Like, I didn't see this 
what men do, what women do, because I only saw my mum do both. <laughs> yes. So I think that's why I didn't understand this whole thing about gender inequality. So I, 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 it, it, it really, it came from a place of like, this doesn't make sense to me because my mum earned income as well as like helped put food on the table. Um, uh, and literally what, like make the food and put it on the table. So it, for me, it was just really, really weird. I think that frames a lot of my women can do it to attitude, mm-hmm. but equally seeing my mum do everything um, meant that I wasn't learning self-care. I wasn't learning balance. I wasn't learning rest. And so I had to like unlearn, um, not do like unlearn the kind of like perfectionism and doing too much and try and make sure that I was being kind to myself. I think people who um, like, you know, and it's, it's so common people who are not, who don't have fathers or who are in sex, same, uh, same sex relationships. I think you do have this, these, these moments where you compare yourself, like do you, would your life be easier if you, if you had a dad around, probably sure like in terms of like maybe contributing income to the house to the house but if it was going to be a toxic environment it's not going to be based on love like actually maybe it was a it's a it, it is a blessing um and I, and I and I and I think I do want to speak to and I said that's I said this quite a lot when I started politics I do want to speak to young women who are from single parent um household and say don't let that make up hold you back I think there's a lot of a lot around oh I don't have a mum and dad to speak to the news if I want to start start a campaign and get into politics like you know that kind of like nuclear weird traditional family thing that is just I think not the not what the real world is for many 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 people and so I do want to encourage anyone that comes from like a single parent household that you can do whatever you want and don't be held hold back held back by having any absent parent for whatever reason Oh, absolutely. I think there's a uh, whole range of uh, issues that need to raise uh, worldwide in terms of the how we do we refine a family. I mean, yeah. uh, we, every society is moving away from a traditional concept of having a mother and a father and siblings. And now, as you mentioned, same-sex marriages uh, or being raised with only one parent. Uh, and it's all on the effort to have a more inclusive and more diverse society where we don't put people in boxes just because they've been uh, or they've grown up without one parents or because they come on a family on the same sex marriage. I think it's a, definitely a, a need to uh, articulate much more and present examples like yours and others uh, further to um, youngsters, uh, women and men or boys and girls. This crisis, COVID crisis, had brought up worldwide the gender inequality in terms of even if those uh, communities affected women suffer much more and the domestic violence yes. uh, rates are up worldwide including our country um, and I assume because people got locked in house and then you know the frustration and uh, a lot of uh, uh, expression of violence has gone toward uh, women and, and children so uh, definitely uh, need to to have a woman in decision making even though cases like um, New Zealand and Germany who have women in their leadership role have shown uh, to be a much more successful stories than um, Australia, for example, or France, or Italy, for that matter. Um, we, I mean, you briefly touched upon the fact that people ask you, do you want to go back to the console? And uh, that was my question as well, um, because listening and hearing your passion and your energy, I think definitely politics could um, use some <laughs> of that energy to turn things around properly in decision-making in the council. Do you ever think that uh, your life path will lead you again to politics? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I need a certain answer. 
<laughs> a more certain answer, actually. More determination from you, not maybe. <laughs> I, I tell you what I, I, I struggle with. It's the, the, it's the, the, polit the, the, polar, the polarization that we're seeing in the UK at the moment and very much tribal politics and that kind of labeling. And it's, it's just not me, Mimosa. Like, I, and I think for women as well, it's, it's difficult for, to be, we, we can't be labeled because we don't fit into society's idea of black and white, like, because yeah. we're always like being othered as women. And then as a black young woman as well. And I just, I just don't agree with that kind of tribalism. And so until that is really resolved, I just don't think there's a place for me in UK politics because I think we need that fluidity and collaboration and and i mean obviously still adhering to our ideology and wanting the world to be a, a better place but the rise of uk well in the uk it's ukip and nationalism and fascism and stuff like that i just don't have it in in me i also think in the uk not enough of our our party parties um are anti-racist and there's a real issue around our parties be, being pro women and representation but pro um diversity and inclusion and if that's not dealt with i just don't see myself thriving in those spaces also i like the freedom of being able to say what i want to say and if i have to toe the party line uh, and vote certain ways on you know immigration bills and things like that i think i would combust yeah at least tell me that you have an optimistic view <laughs> on the path in general <laughs> Yeah, I we want to feel optimism and we want to believe that there's a brighter future ahead of us. What I would really love to do is be parts of um, collectives that are working on women's leadership like I, I, and, and political leadership. I would love to like do mentoring, coaching, whatever it is that I could do to basically impact more women than me just standing uh, i think that would be what i'd love to do for the next like five ten years i always talk about like going having a farm um raising my own animals and having my own kids and then having some like barn den backdoor office thing that would allow me to like have clients and coaching and part of that would i love for it to be around political leadership and getting young people and diverse people diverse groups engaging in democracy in some way but if but i hope that doesn't mean that it has to be me standing for one 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 party and swearing some oath and allegiance it's just not me yet <laughs> Say, would you tell me more about your uh, personal experience with uh, women in politics and their experience with online abuse? What it is uh, specifically that you have encountered apart from your own experience? Yeah, I think online violence against women in politics is a real stain on our democracy. I think it's a real threat to our democracy. I think it basically unravels all the work that we're doing around gender equality and 50-50 representation and all of that. I think the on online violence for women in politics is is so broad as well. And, and, and I think it's important that we use the term violence, actually, um, and abuse where we can, because it, it is the, the impact that it has on women in terms of mental health, psychology, uh, physically, psychologically, on their finances, their livelihood, their, uh, their friends and family. It is the typology and, and, and what is experienced when it comes to physical violence. Um, we know that women are 27 times more likely to be harassed online than, than men. Um, but when we look at intersectionality, we see that women of colour and black women are disproportionately impacted by online abuse and violence. And so if we've got already a problem with women entering politics, and then we've got a lack of um, uh, black women, women of colour, women who are disabled, etc, etc, entering politics, online violence 
is basically going to set us back like 50 to 100 years. And especially last year when we were talking about the centenary year of the vote, centenary year of this and that, I wasn't celebrating because I was just only seeing how much online violence has pushed, pushed people away. And in the UK last year, we saw an, a record number of women MPs citing online abuse as the reason why they were not standing again. And I think that's disgusting, uh, point blank. And I think we are seeing the ripple effect of that where young women, as I mentioned before, are saying, I've seen what Shay's gone through. I've seen what Diane's going, gone through. I see what AOC is going through in America. And I actually, I don't think politics is for me. And if we don't get a, a grip to this, I think it's we're, we're not going to change the face of politics. What I'm con also concerned about when it comes to online violence is this kind of binary that we see. Like online violence is a continuum of violence against women and girls um and there is it, it's not like someone's going to pick uh, oh i'm going to do online violence to mimosa and shay and like no like they will be violent any way that they can and it can be a combination of doxing hacking um gender-based violence as well as then tracking you and stalking you and that leading to offline violence which we saw during covid we saw our report the ripple effects of the pandemic of online abuse saw that um, online abuse had increased during COVID and it increased even more for um, women of colour and minoritised people. So um, we can't see online abuse and online violence as something that is uh, separate from offline violence. We have to see it for, as a continuum and we have to make sure that legislation, uh, education, our public health approach, whatever it is to tackling this, understands that continuum. Well, it's uh, definitely a, uh, a, a perfect uh, way or message uh, to end this, unless you want to add something more, because uh, as we are coming to the end of our time, um, and I have uh, several unanswered uh, <laughs> questions that I have in my head for you, but um, I'm also going to be optimistic and hope that I'm going to meet you in person very soon yes, uh, yes. in DC, London, or maybe in the Balkans, never know yes. where the path might lead. Uh, but I certainly would like to thank you very much for the opportunity to interview you. And I'm uh, so convinced and I, I, I have a deep belief that wherever you are, you're going to do your best and you're going to continue serving as an inspiration to other young girls and women around the world. Uh, but still, if you have a, one last message for all of them and everyone who's listening to us, boys and men as well, we need them as uh, uh, in, in this uh, partnership, in this path to make the world better. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you so much for really, really uh, interesting questions and a, a great conversation to have. My final message, I think, would be to um, uh, think about who's not in the room and why that is. And 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 the more we have that in in our minds, the more we use our platforms and whatever opportunities we have to really think about who else could we pull in, who else who else's uh, experience or uh, lived experience could we highlight. I think the more we can help really raise diversity of thought and, and experiences to the mainstream. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Say. It has Thank really you. been a pleasure this afternoon from Pristina in Kosovo to interview you in uh, London. So I wish you all the best and uh, looking forward to our next meeting. Thanks very much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Changing the Face of Politics podcast series. To learn more about the series and NDI's initiative, please go to NDI's website at ndi.org.